Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Positivity Strategist. I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel. Thank you all for listening to the show. And if this is a first time for you, I'm really delighted that you've decided to join us. And we have a really good one for you today. In fact, today I'm talking with my esteemed colleague from the world of appreciative inquiry, Sally Lee. And just about all my shows focus on the transformational change method called appreciative inquiry. And Sally's going to contribute to that that body of um, knowledge that we're accumulating together. So on this show, we're all about growing positivity and strengths at home, at work, and in community. Um, Sally has a great deal to offer us. She goes deep and wide. Sally's been consulting and she's been training and innovating in her field of organization design, in leadership coaching, and workshop facilitation for some considerable time all over the world. Sally, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Sally, I wonder what else you might say about your rich, diverse and extensive contribution to this field of organization development and design. Uh, You know, as I've as I my career went in this direction um, back in my 30s out of human resources into organizational development and design, I began to realize how enormous the field is, and it's just grown so much uh, since I've been doing this work, uh, to the point that you can't, I, you know, you can't even get your arms around it. Um, so the idea of organizational design has, uh, you know, beyond organizational development, has just become very uh, important to me. And I'm fascinated all the time with the idea of how do we design events, instruction, uh, you know, instructional design, and how do we design organizations so that we get the results we want? So the idea of design, not in an architectural sense, but in an, in the sense of how do we design our, our work together and our relationships is fascinating. Mm. And um, there would have been a number of influences in how you design. What are some of those influences, Sally? Um, well, you know, I've, I've, I've been so fortunate to have um, exposure uh, to so many different genres as I've done this work. And, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study with um, the Richard Barrett values um, systems and uh, things like that. It's, you know, so many different pieces come together. But mostly, I think when I discovered appreciative inquiry, Mm -hmm. um, it was 
an answer to a prayer, really. I was frustrated and felt like I had come to the end of the rope of what I knew about organizational development and especially of facilitation. And when I discovered appreciative inquiry and was trained in it um, through the Global Excellence in Management program, my entire career turned around and I became very happy in something that I had been sort of, uh, I'd become a little lethargic in over time. And uh, so I, I really have to say that that's been that idea of the strengths based um, initiatives, positive psychology, appreciative inquiry, et cetera, has been life changing. Mm. Yeah. And we know, we know that all our colleagues would have a similar story. Yes. <laughs> um, and, um, and we know we can dig into that, but it'll come out as we, as we go through this conversation or, or interview together. So I just had another question, um, regarding influences and I'm, I'm inviting you, you know, to think back to your upbringing or your early life, was there anything there that might have influenced you to forge the path that you did, you know, moving into organisational design and then finding that um, a method, a transformational change method such as AI really spoke to you? That's a great question, uh, Robin. I think, um, you know, even as a child, I facilitated things. I facilitated my family. Um, <laughs> and you weren't called bossy. Um, no, never. <laughs> but, but I was but always... facilitators are not bossy. So I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, la- uh, I'm chuckling because I, um, I, it resonates. <laughs> so I was always sort of saying, don't you see that this one is saying this and that that one's saying that, and here's a way we could do this. And, um, I always saw patterns mm. in, uh, even in my family and, so there was that. And then there was the fact that my um, my uncle, my very beloved uncle, was um, an international banker. And he traveled all over the world and lived all over the world. And he used to come jetting in for holidays. And I thought it was the most romantic and fabulous thing I had ever seen. And I wanted to live in other places and work in other places. And so I'm really lucky that Um, I looked for and was able to find uh, global opportunities and to have colleagues in different parts of the world that have really influenced Mm -hmm. my work because they have come from different cultures and they have wonderfully, wonderfully different cultural perspectives that um, have so contributed. But it did go back to my uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how wonderful that he had this globe globe trotting job that influenced you and, and you aspired to follow. Yes. Very nice. Um, and I'm going to come back to that too because I think it really um, speaks to what the focus of our conversation will be about. But before I go there, Sally, um, I just want to say that um, let the audience know that um, Sally was um, – recently there was an AI homecoming for people who are in this field of appreciative inquiry, positive psychology, learning it or seasoned practitioners. So a lot of diversity in our global community. And Sally was one of the designers and facilitators of this, what we were calling at the time, a gathering, an AI, an AI homecoming that was held uh, recently at the David Cooper Center for Appreciative Inquiry at the Champaign College up in Burlington, Vermont. And I wrote about how I was personally impacted by that gathering in a blog post, which was called um, uh, 
what is an appreciative voice in your world because that was the theme, that was the topic that we came to inquire into and Sally came up with that amazing topic, that topic that of appreciative voice and so we spent three days together inquiring into what is an appreciative voice in the world. And so in that lovely design that was created by Sally and her colleagues, um, there were these short talks called TAD Talks, not TED Talks, but TAD Talks. And Sally, why don't you say how um, that term TAD Talk came about? Um, the Talis Institute has, and they were co-sponsors of this gathering that you're talking about, um, they have used TAD Talks before in their work. And TAD means just a little. And so these talks were um, designed to be, we asked everyone to, who was going to give one to design them to be five to seven minutes long. So you can say a lot in that amount of time, but you have to be concise. So we, um, we thought it was a wonderful opportunity to let the community speak. We wanted to hear about innovations and directions that different participants are going in. And so people could sign up to do TAD talks and then we, uh, we captured them on video. Hmm. Yeah, and they were fantastic. Um, and so Sally herself gave a talk, and the title of her talk was about leadership or life literacies, leadership slash citizenship life literacies. Um, and it was such an um, such an impactful talk that Sally was able to kind of condense into this five uh, into the seven to ten minutes. And I just thought how wonderful it would be to explore this more on the podcast. And so um, Sally was gracious enough to say that she would be happy to do that. And she's written about this um, among a number of other topics she's written about. And um, we'll share with you how you be, might be able to get a copy of this paper that um, I've had the pleasure of reading and I'm going to invite Sally to talk more about. So the title of the, the paper is leadership slash citizenship literacies for the 21st century, solution and system stalking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Say more about the stalking. Well, it just came to me. I was actually doing this thing and I, you know how sometimes patterns just keep coming to us. And I was trying to find ways to remember these literacies. And so I was doing kind of double letters, which you'll hear throughout this talk of, mm. you know, what are the names of those literacies, but also solution stalking um, became one of those. But really what it means is that rather than stalking problems, we we, in appreciative inquiry and the principles of appreciative inquiry, we learn to stalk solutions, mm -hmm. to look at what will work, what has already worked, what do we most, what do we want more of, to really keep the conversation at what can we do to realize this and move in that direction rather than bogging down in the negative or simply the pro analyzing the problem over and over again. Uh, all of us who do appreciative inquiry are very familiar with that. But I also feel in terms of stalking um, that it takes a tremendous focus to, um, to really uh, look at solutions, to find solutions, to hold solutions, and maybe to ferret them out. Uh, where they've been sitting all along waiting for us mm -hmm. to discover that the solutions are already 
um, just hidden in plain sight. So that's where the solution stalking comes mm. from. It's finding ways to surface them, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, Sally, this this article that you wrote, what was the impetus for you to write it? Um, well, I, I actually started uh, having been so in love with appreciative inquiry for 20 years. I started looking at the processes of appreciative inquiry and the principles, and I started deconstructing the processes and thought to myself, what, um, what tools or what knowledge, what competencies and skills do we need or do we learn from conducting these processes like the 4D or 5D process, uh, planning process and appreciative inquiry? What, what's at the heart of all this and what are things that we can take out into the rest of our lives? You know, the, the core one being inquiry, um, that tool, that skill and a competency and actually, I would actually say a literacy of, um, inquiry of looking for the most powerful generative question we can find. That's something that all of us who do appreciative inquiry practice. And as long as I've been doing AI, I find that it is endlessly challenging. And the better I get at it, the more distance there still is to mm -hmm. perfection um, in terms of inquiry. But so uh, that was an example of one of the things when I was deconstructing the, the processes. And I realized that there were six areas that I thought every leader and every citizen really and every person um, in the 21st century as we live in more turbulent times. Um, and when I mean turbulent times, I mean, I think I mean by that the wholeness of the globe. You know, we're having to really deal with all the cultures now where there are voices from everywhere. There are so many different cultures and voices within our own culture and we have to cope with them. There isn't just one dominant voice now or one homogenous culture that we maybe fondly, some of us remember from the fifties, or we think it was like that then it would, I think it never really was, but it felt like it, mm -hmm. um, that it was a more homogeneous, um, uh, culture at the time. So, I started looking at, well, what do I think, what do we need to be literate in? And of course, literacies are just competencies or skills, but it's like reading, writing, or in this, uh, the millennial generation, you know, uh, computing or coding, they consider that they have to be literate in that, that mm -hmm. sort of everybody has to be literate in coding. And uh, as we know from having children and nieces and nephews and all of that who help us with our computer skills mm -hmm. and setting things up, that they have things that are literacies that are second nature to them that for us have taken real work. So that's what I'm talking about with literacies, things that are uh, essential to our survival in our times. Mm -hmm. So things we need to be literate about. Yeah. And Sally, in preparation for our conversation, I actually um, looked up and I found this definition that I'd like to read and it actually comes from the National Council of Teachers of English website and um, for any of the any people who are still thinking about you know literacies in this sense let me read this definition literacy has always been a collection of cultural and communicative practices shared among members of particular groups as society and technology change so does literacy because technology has increased the intensity and complexity of literate environments, the 21st century demands that a literate person possess a wide range of abilities and competencies, many literacies. 
These literacies are multiple, dynamic, and malleable. I uh, love that. Isn't that great? Yes. Um, so thank you for prompting me to do a little bit of my own um, inquiry and research, and I thought this was a really good one. And so I won't read the rest, but just the final, um, it's a, just a short paragraph, um, but the last sentence says, active, successful participants in this 21st century century global society must be able to, and they give four, um, four areas. Um, however, I want to hand that over to you because that's what you're dealing with. Um, in this paper that you wrote, um, so oh, what a great what a great lead in. <laughs> Good, and I wonder, Sally, if you wouldn't mind because I think this is really relevant. Before you go there, there are four beautiful assumptions that you make about um, our beliefs and about humanity in terms of what we are really capable of. So it's those four foundational s- assumptions that really are you know, the springboard for us to be able to embrace these literacies that you've, that you're, you speak to. Yes. And, um, do you want me to go over those? Yeah. I mean, yeah, please do. Well, I, I spent a long time. There was a a time when a, a group of us, um, edited an issue of the AI practitioner. This was in 2011 on appreciative governance And as we did that, we really looked into what are the assumptions that we hold about governance and about people. And that led me to crafting some assumptions about um, human capacities and about who we really are, who humans really are. And the four that I came up with that lead into the literacies are the first one is that um, humans are both self-interested and compassionate. Uh, we have both aspects of ourselves. So human nature brings with it a capacity for good and compassion. And we're maybe not as selfish as we've been taught to believe we are. So that so whole Hobbesian theory of, um, you know, that everyone is is just looking for their own good and that it's a very dog-eat-dog competitive world is is we can behave that way, certainly. So we are self-interested, but we are also compassionate. So um, that's that's the first assumption that we have great capacity for good. The um, the second um, assumption is that we're agile learners. That we have the brain is incredibly plastic. We have greater neuroplasticity and learning agility than we suspected. So these ideas that we have that I can't learn anything new, I can't change now that I'm in my sixties <coughs> um, and other. You know, that it's it's really not true. So not only do we have the capacity for compassion and empathy and cooperation, but we also can uh, sculpt our brains and change the way we think. So the that idea that um, we couldn't learn new literacies, we couldn't become literate in new things at different points in our lives is absolutely untrue. It's a matter of our will and our desire to do it. So the third assumption then is that we are completely interconnected. Every individual and organization is a living system and living within larger networks and and systems. And we are interdependent. So there's really no choice. Um, One of my professors in graduate school talked about complex, um, complex, dynamic, asymmetrical interdependence among nations, 
among countries. Mm -hmm. And the asymmetry was like he talked about the U.S. at that time in Mexico. We are interconnected. We absolutely are interdependent. But there's there are asymmetries in power and in the way we function. So um, that interdependence, though, I think resonates very much with social constructionism and appreciative inquiry that everything is relational and that we can't get away from that. You know, there's no way to de to disconnect ourselves from that. And so if that's the truth, if if we if we accept that everything is relational and social constructionism is how we think the world is organized, then there are different ways we behave or different literacies we need than if we think of ourselves only as individual operators. Mm. So the fourth assumption that comes up from that is that, um, is that humans are information eaters. Um, the rate of available data is increasing exponentially. We wanna take it all in um, and we can't do it by ourselves. And as, as data just continues to grow and grow and grow, our appetite for it grows and grows and grows. So that also um, relates to and invites more relationship because we actually can't – nobody can hold it all by themselves. So we need um, – we all need to be eating a certain amount of information and co-holding co -holding the web of knowledge in the world. Hmm. So those are, those are the ones. Wow, so beautifully said. And when we have that frame of reference, then you have to say, how is it that we can, how is it that we are not behaving collectively in a different way? And what is it that we have to do to be able to live out those assumptions? Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's almost infinitely challenging and certainly an, an, it's an infinite learning curve. I think for humans to um, and to learn also that that other beings on our planet are not less than we are. I mean, because I was just talking about humans, but I also have to. I always have to stick that in that there are other that there are other beings with rights and privileges and the desire for life as well. Most definitely, yeah. Beautiful. Well, with that fantastic um, foundation. How would you like to talk to us about the six literacies? So I'll just uh, uh, start out with the, the first literacy that came to me. And everybody who knows anything about appreciative inquiry will, I think, oh. recognize and hopefully resonate with this. And that's um, the idea about framing, the literacy of being able to reframe reality when we need to. Mm. So to frame the situation we're in, to look, um, to look as we're entering situations or if we find ourselves in the middle of something, at what frame am I looking through? What's the lens I'm looking through? And recognize that we are looking through a frame, that at any moment we choose the frame and that the people around us that we're dealing with are also looking through a frame. Mm -hmm. And just being able to recognize that and then deal with it. Um, whether it, whether it means that we need to talk about, well, I'm kind of coming from this perspective. What's your perspective? And to see if we can mutually arrive at a frame that we're talking from the same kind of, that we understand one another's vantage points, that, um, that we might even be able to, many times it means going to a bigger frame, um, 
hold the biggest picture we can find, look to see what are the uh, biggest stakes, what topic are we going to choose, um, what's the most powerful view we can take, so that also the what fits in this reframing reality literacy is that idea that so many of us have learned, and that's to flip from the negative to the positive, mm-hmm. um, to say, wait a minute, we're just looking at what's wrong here and the problem or a disaster or catastrophe. What can we look at that might help us actually work with what's going on rather than simply define it more? Um, so that's reframing reality. And it's it's a literacy that I think that all of us um, can can work with every single day in every single situation to be able to, to put ourselves in it and say, where, what is my vantage point? Where am I coming from? And given the, um, the political divisions that we are encountering in our country and, uh, seeing in different parts of the world as well, this is particularly important that we learn not to give up what we believe in, Mm-hmm. But to realize that others see it differently yeah. and that they have a different frame yeah, and that we need to um, work with that to see how we can find something that's generative to work on together. Mm. Yeah. I think in business context and organizational context, it's not unusual to say, well, my frame of reference is... Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, your beliefs, your worldviews, your mental models will come out. And then as well, you know, the invitation, the increase, they were what, you know, what's your, where are you coming from? You know, what's your frame of reference, which is really based on, you know, life experience and values and beliefs and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, reframing reality is is huge. It opens us up to the possibilities and the perspectives of what else what else and what other opportunities and what might we, we be missing because we're just limited in our own frame? Right. And what question can we ask that will help us find a mutual enough frame to continue our conversation? Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of the things, um, an, an example that I've always found really powerful is, and Mac and Marsha O'Dell um, use this in their work in Nepal and in Africa, and, and a mentor of mine in South America uh, used this. And that's to uh, when you work with a, a group, a village, uh, an, you know, an, an entire group of people who um, cohabitate, let's say, in a, in a village, to ask them re- what they most want for their children, you know, in terms of planning the future or looking at bringing people together who disagree to start a conversation with what would you most want for your children? What do you want them to have that perhaps you don't have? Mm-hmm. What's the most what's the most important thing for their future? And you find people coming together in new ways that they didn't expect because perhaps they want the same things for yeah. their children. It's a bigger perspective yeah. than the one they were holding. So that's that's an example. That's a great example. And one of the things that I really like about um, this document that you're, you know, willing to share with people if they reach out to you is that you give some practical, you know, you, you give them questions to ask or think about to reflect on. So there's some practices in this too, which I think is very cool. Oh, well, thanks. And I, um, you know, and there's so, so many more that uh, can be 
added to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I look for um, people to, to, if they do in fact read about this, to give me more examples of, of instances of using those literacies and also practices. Mm, great. So the first one is reframing reality. And so, yes. well, not, the, you know, that's the first one you're speaking about. So another one, a second one is... Managing multiplicity. Again, these double names that that I use as sort of a mnemonic device. But <laughs> um, managing multiplicity is really about um, wholeness. Um, you know that who's who has a stake in a situation. Um, ha, you know what are the voices? Um, we're when I talked a, a few minutes ago about we now have to look at the world from a global perspective. We're looking at the whole. And all of us in our individual lives, our families, our work, in our nations, on our world, we're having we're at a point now where we have to invite the diverse whole mm-hmm. into dialogue, and we have to value and and tap perspectives. Um, I know that anybody who's done an appreciative inquiry event, let's say, or a summit has had the experience of when you get the whole in the room, a whole group in the room, um, a whole company, a whole organization, that um, the power of all those voices, all those perspectives and the knowledge, because that's some of, one of the things that we miss often in managing multiplicity is we're trying to control it rather than invite mm. um, the voices and the knowledge, because when we're able to tap the wisdom of people at different places in an organization or different places in a community, we learn so much more and answers come so much faster. Um, you know, David uh, Cooperwriter said, I heard this so many years ago, but he talked about how um, when you go into an or that an organizations are infinite because of the skills and knowledge and beingness that comes in the door every day mm-hmm. and that we can, can't even, we can't tap or map all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so big. And I, that's what this literacy is about is that, that ongoing experiment we have, um, in tapping and drawing forth the curiosity, innovation, effort, wisdom of those around us. And, um, so you know, we we don't get to live in closed off neighborhoods really pretty much anymore um, or only, you know, only from our particular cultural heritage. Um, we're dealing with everything now and we see it every day on the news. So managing multiplicity is a literacy, mm. if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um- I'm curious about the. I know you're doing the um, alliteration here, the you know two M's, managing multiplicity. But I'm wondering, is it a managing? Um, I when I first came up with that, I was thinking of leaders, mm-hmm. and that how leaders have to. That's something they have to be literate in is in looking mm-hmm. out their organizations or their communities, mm-hmm. and that it's and managing it means that you have to take it into consideration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that so often we see the whole, the multiplicity, the diversity mm-hmm. as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, of course, it's not, it's mm-hmm. the greatest strength that an organization or a community or a world has. 
So it's a bit like embracing multiplicity. Yes, multiplicity. Yeah, multiplicity. But, you know, that didn't work with no, a, with no <laughs> not with your formula. Sometimes we have to kind of squeeze things in right. But no. I think it may change over time and not be so liberative. Um, yeah, but I just want to read something that you wrote in that section because um, I highlight it because it's beautiful. Um, and it's, a, it's in that paragraph that start, starts with invitation to belonging. And you say – a true invitation to collective dialogue builds on the belief that the answers to important questions walk into the room in the form of participants and emerge in combining their intelligence and intent. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's like, <laughs> you know, the answers to important questions walk into the room in the form of participants. <laughs> And well, and I've seen it, and I know you have too. Yes. I mean, I've actually I've seen it happen in rooms, and um, and everybody has stories about seeing the answers that that somebody stands up and says something, and you go, "Oh my goodness, that's the answer," and we didn't expect it from that person or in that situation. Um, but it's also so, the yes. generative capacity. So, you know, you come up with an idea and someone builds on that idea. And so that's, you know, again, expanding, um, valuing the multiplicity and expanding the frames as well. So building on each other. Yes. Yes. And it's so, so in literacy that, that we, we've got to be good at dancing with diversity. So there's another alliterative thing. Oh, but, nice. Uh, good um, one. <laughs> Maybe that's what it should I be. I like that better. Energy, multiplicity. It should be dancing with diversity. Yay. Um, but, you know, I got so tired of the diversity term and it had, took on such a negative tone and frame in so many places that. Um, when did you write this? I wrote this a couple of years ago. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, or it could be something about inclusion, but we're just kind of playing with words at the moment. We're just playing with words. Um, <laughs> Which is fun so to I'm do. just trying to get the concepts. It's yeah, really no, the concepts. It's perfect. That are it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another literacy, right? Let's move on to the third literacy then. Yeah. And actually, the third one really um, emerges from the second one about managing multiplicity, and that's surfacing strengths. You know, in. Um, Really, there's there's nothing else that we can do, and it's the best thing we can do in situation in a situation is to pay attention to and magnify the strengths in the people, in systems, in communities, in networks, everywhere we go. If we do nothing else, and this is part of reframing reality as well for people, is helping others see that they're creators and contributors, and looking for ways to leverage that. Um, uh, you remember Peter Drucker um, and, and David Cooper Ryder has quoted this many times, mm -hmm. said the task of leadership is to create an alignment of strengths, making our systems weaknesses irrelevant. And that ability to surface strengths, um, you know, I, I tell a story about Harry, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, that movie, that film, um, where at that time his one of his professors said to him, because he was very frightened about going off to fight dragons, and uh, the, the professor said, um, Harry, what are your strengths? And Harry was feeling very uh, down in the mouth about it, and he said, um, I don't think I really have any. And the professor said, I hear you're pretty good with a broom, you know, <laughs> riding a broom. And because uh, Harry was on the this mm -hmm. fabulous Quidditch team. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And Harry said, well, yes, but I can't take a broom into the competition. And the professor said, but you do have a wand. Mm -hmm. And you can use the wand once you get into the competition to summon your broom. So that that ability that we develop, that literacy we have in tapping other people's strengths and helping them to see their strengths and that um, that resilience that they have, the successes they've had, how they deal with diversity, um, how they connect to others. That is, it's a, it's a, it's a literacy and it's also at times feels like a gift for people that we know who are wonderful at tapping our best. You know what you remember? I know that you can think of somebody who always taps your best, mm-hmm. holds forth your best. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Being literate in tapping people's best yeah. in bringing their strengths, uh, forth in a situation and, um, you know, and surfacing them. Yeah. How can we, how can we do that? Mm-hmm. So, um, and in that section, Sally, you also talk about the value of positivity. Maybe you could just quickly point to the value of being in positive states, which is a way of also being in our strengths because when we're in our strengths, we are at our best. Right. And, and, uh, you know, we can train ourselves to be more positive because of the way our brains are put together. Um, we threat trumps, uh, reward because Mm -hmm. the threat response is, is a very old and venerable Mm -hmm. part of our brains. And so according to, uh, Barbara Fredrickson, um, the positive psychologist who's at the University of North Carolina, and most of us have read her work, which is just fantastic. We need to have a ratio of about three to one positive to negative internal talk, um, and then to flourish individually and external talk to flourish in teams. Um, because if, because that's strengths talk, we're We're talking about what's going well, what we like, what we're enjoying, um, what, um, competencies we have for something, what resources we've been able to tap in a situation. And so, and it's, it makes us healthier, more energized and, um, you know, it, it, it works. And more open, open to, yeah, open to others too. Um, in fact, you just reminded me of, I think it might be a Jonathan Haidt quote, or it might be a Rick, I think it's actually a Rick Hansen quote, and I'm going to muck this up, but it's um, about negativity is like Velcro to the brain, and positivity is like Teflon. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So we do have to work at building up positivity resources and muscle, because we are wired to, you know, all that negativity can stick for all sorts of reasons. Um, yeah. So then if we, if we're, if we get pretty good at surfacing strengths in a, in a group, then the next literacy is connecting the collective. And I will say that probably the strength that I find the most lacking in leaders I've worked with is that, um, ability to invite dialogue, to think of ways to pull people together so that they work really well together, um, so that they link arms uh, uh, in getting something done that's very important. You know, that there's uh, 
that there's not enough asking of what can we do together mm-hmm. and how can we set it up in our organization so people connect. Um, I know I've told you that my mother recently went to um, live in a facility um, for people with dementia. And they are such good, amazingly kind, compassionate people there. And they do such a good job. And what individually, and what I notice is that they're not being joined together very often. They're not being connected mm-hmm. to share their strengths, to um, tap, to, to help each other more in their work. They're a lot um, very individually going about their daily work. And I, when I'm over there, I think, where's the dialogue among mm-hmm. you all? Where's the passing of information? And being able to do that, knowing how to do that is not a common strength. Mm-hmm. It's not a common capacity um, in our in our culture. So it's, that's why it's a literacy. I, I think that this, um, disability to ask yourself in a situation, how am I going to bring people together and connect them up? And how can I be part of a group better? Um, and, and tap those collect connective dynamics and that collective intelligence, um, to promote more cooperation and collaboration is, um, uh, you know, Ken Wilber said, uh, educate people for a world that's more embracing. Mm-hmm. And that's this connecting up the collective in dialogue, in conversation, in world cafes, in um, appreciative inquiry dialogues, in conversations, in storytelling, yeah. um, et cetera. So and that one is, you know, that's a lifelong learning as well. And um, uh, brings me to the fifth one. Um, the fifth literacy that I think is, is so important and that's forecasting the future. You know, the, in the appreciative inquiry principles, the positive image equals positive action leads to positive action. Um, the ability in our own lives to be literate and looking at our futures and forecasting, not only what's coming down the pike at us, Mm -hmm. but also creating and co-creating, um, the image of a positive future for ourselves. And since we're all interdependent and interrelated in our families, in our workplaces, that everybody is part of the co-creation of a positive future. And the technology for doing that together is an incredible literacy. Um, so, you know, so not only scanning the horizon for signals of the future coming at us, but also finding ways to, to point to and create paths ahead of us and co-author the future. Um, do you remember uh, Alvin Toffler? Remember um, mm-hmm. Future Shock and those uh, books that seemed so mm-hmm. wildly ahead of their time and, and that we would never have a future like that. And now they, they're so old hat because the future has surpassed what they thought. Um, but, you know, he was That's where the term, you know, futurist came from. We started talking about futurists. Right. And my feeling is that um, uh, now that we are all futurists, where we want, whether we want to be or not. Um, and Margaret Mead, uh, years and years ago, said, "What we need to invent are ways in which far-sightedness can become a habit of the citizenry of the diverse peoples of this planet." Mm-hmm. So this forecasting the future, you know, is also about the well-being uh, coming together in a way that we can look at the, at the well-being into the future. Absolutely. Um, 
And there are many, 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 uh, as we know, very controversial issues that belong in that category in terms of the well-being of the planet. Yeah, and as you're describing these, and we only have one more to go, it becomes clear that um, these are um, competencies to be learned, um, to be practiced, and they are all interdependent. Yes. So this yes. last one where you're talking about forecasting the future, what's coming up for me is so much about, um, you know, connecting the collective. Um, yes. Um, and it's, it's a great way to connect the connect mm, collective yeah. as well. So, it's, you know, it's the how-to which is often the challenge. How do we do this? We know this makes sense. How do we do this? But I'm, I'm kind of jumping in. So why don't you um, please take us through number six, Sally? Yes. And um, – that number six is designing dynamics, and that's exactly what what you just asked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, it's the our ability to find ways to open to new perspectives and people and ideas, new ways to bring ourselves together, and that there are actually ways to design that into our systems, our family systems, our organizational systems, our community systems. And and it takes understanding that our communities are living systems within larger systems and that we are that interdependence again, we are all connected. And that so we design designing fluid processes and ways of organizing rather than just rigid structures. That's a whole new literacy for all of us. And I think every organization right now and all the great leaders in the world right now are working on this very thing. Um, we need systems uh, as um, futurist Andrew Zolli has said, we need systems that encourage cooperation and prepare for disruption. Um, so in what ways are we encouraging cooperation in our systems, in the way we set up our city council meetings, in the way um, in our organizations we gather input from employees, you know, beyond the suggestion box that we put in the in the lunchrooms? Yeah. Um, so uh, and how do we keep in mind that um, that our systems are alive and that we that the way we manage ourselves, our systems, design our systems, design our interactions is with the idea that everything is alive and that what we do matters. I think this one um, takes me kind of back to reframing reality as well, that what we do matters, that what we think about, what we talk about does create worlds. It's creating our future. It's creating our new organizations. It's creating our new forms of governance. Um, some people are saying at this point that the United States is no longer governable, that it's an ungovernable country. It's become ungovernable because of the diversity of thought. Well, is that true? Or is it that we just don't have the literacies to, to govern with such diversity and with such demand for voice, um, and for inviting voices into conversations uh, so you, you see where I'm headed. Yeah, and perhaps we live, um, we, we're missing that appreciative voice. You that- know, I, yes, and uh, appreciative voice isn't just being nice, Mm-mm. but the appreciative voice, that, that, that voice that looks for strengths and, and acknowledges strengths, that voice that acknowledges diversity and mm-hmm. invites it, the, all that. Um, and that voice a- that's willing to stand up. And speak, 
Yes. Um, to those issues. Yes. Um, in a way that's still inclusive and not um, – it's inclusive and inclusive inviting. And, yes. Um, and welcoming. Yes. Mm. And, and creates um, – co-creates a sense of belonging because I think what we are um, uh, lacking in so many ways is – many of us feel that we've fallen out of the nest, that we're no longer belong to the culture we're in, or that maybe we never got the opportunity to belong in the first place. And that sense, um, saps our strengths and it saps the sense of wholeness and the belief that we're interdependent. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that, these are, these are, we have to get good at this Mm -hmm. and these literacies and, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested if there were enough interest, I would love to um, create a gathering or, or a workshop on mm. these literacies to explore um, what are the best ways we know um, to bring the voices, to bring the, our voices mm. forward mm. around these sorts of um, characteristics or literacies. Because yeah. um, I think um, I don't have uh, all the answers to it, I, but what I do have is the recognition that these things are vitally important. Yeah. In fact, that was a question I had for you. You know, what's your hope of bringing greater awareness of these literacies into community? You know, would you ever, or whatever system you, you think about? You know, I, I, think some of it is a, an each one teach one kind of thing or, a you know, we just bring ourselves and what we know. I know I said this at our gathering in Burlington when we were talking about appreciative voice. Um, I believe we're some of the best trained people on the planet. Um, I think that people who've been trained in, you know, positive psychology, strength-based methodologies, appreciative inquiry, uh, organizational mm-hmm. design, et cetera, that we um, – we have been given an enormous gift that we can in the moment reframe something. We can mm-hmm. ask a generative question. We can design questions in a situation that will bring forth uh, people's best and people's contributions. And I think we have to use those skills mm-hmm. we have. Yeah. Um, I think we actually have these literacies that I've been talking about. And we maybe don't recognize that we have them. So um, I I would love to I would love to start a larger conversation about this mm-hmm. and um, a larger co-creation around them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there's enormous potential here and um, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, what is it that we could co-create and who else would we invite in and how might we bring greater awareness to this and um, help people find this within themselves? Um, you know, it is about learning. It is about skill development, um, and we know we can do that. Yes, and we and we and we have it. Everybody has this capacity. Yeah. It, we just have to recognize it and hone it yeah. a bit. Well, coming back to the assumptions from the beginning, right? Yes, we all have the, the capacity yep. for good, and we have the. What we need is just a little training. Yes, you know, like we learn to read and write. We yes. need training in. In togetherness, we need training in interrelationships mm-hmm. and interdependence um, because there's really no choice in the matter right now. It's not about like, well, do I want to be part of a big, multitudinous, uh, di- diverse, almost cacophonous world? Well, too bad you're part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. want it, that's too bad. See how you can protect yourself. But for the rest of us, we're gonna, we need to step in, step mm-hmm. up, step in, lean in. 
and um, bring our knowledge of dialogues, of conversation, of framing um, into every situation we enter. Yeah. Sally, this has just been so fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your experience, your aspirations with walking us through this paper. So um, let me ask you if people are wanting to engage in conversation with you or want to get a copy of this paper, how might they do that? Um, Well, you um, on your website uh, have listed some ways to contact me and one is is through LinkedIn. So anybody can can reach me through uh, LinkedIn and I would love to send you a copy of this paper. I have published um, a version of the paper in a book called Lawyers as Changemakers, which was written by uh, Kim Wright, uh, who some people may know, who's uh, part of the um, larger alternate uh, law movement, mm-hmm. alternative law movement. Um, so she had uh, asked me to, to submit this for her section on evolving leadership um, uh, in the legal field. And I did. So it's in that book as well, but I'm happy to just sit to, to attach it to an email or something. Um, if you'd like, if somebody would like to have a copy and if somebody would like to talk more about this or I think I'd love it. Yeah. Great. Well, um, yes. So thank you for reminding me that, um, there will, there are, there will be links and a couple of other papers that Sally has written that you might like to also check out. And they will be on the show notes page of this episode, which is Positivity Strategist, PS, PositivityStrategist.com slash PS76. So it's episode 76. So if you're listening and you want to find out more, that's what you would type in to the URL um, to the, and you'll get that information. So Sally, thank you so much. Thank you so I've much. I've enjoyed Robin. it enormously. Such a great conversation. Thank you for making it happen. (laughs) Lots of lots of gifts you've given us. Thank you, Sally. Oh, thank you. This was great. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows so grow towards your best.